listening to the Detroit Symphony Orchestra performing William Grant Stills Symphony Number no. 1, Afro-American. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to start today by telling just a little story about myself, uh, my childhood here in the city of Detroit. When I was a kid, I can remember really clearly the day that my mother received in the mail a bunch of records that she'd ordered, I think, from Time Life Books. And they were a complete collection of Beethoven symphonies, of Mozart's symphonies, and I think there were some other composers thrown in there as well. And I remember throughout my childhood being addicted to those records. I would play them all all the time in the house, uh, and I would sit and listen and listen to the differences between the symphonies and listen for the different instruments that were in there. Um, And as a child musician, uh, I was someone who played the piano and then later the drums and then switched to brass. That made it even more interesting for me to be into classical music. But I was also sort of an anomaly among the people that I knew. There weren't a lot of other black kids in the city who were that interested in classical music. Uh, And it was even more notable, I think, that Uh, we didn't really understand a whole lot about the history of classical music and African-Americans, the real link between uh, black history and classical music. The Detroit Symphony Orchestra has been working for a long time to try to make sure that more people know about that and more people feel a part of the celebration of classical music as African-Americans. This weekend, they are going to host the 41st annual Classic Roots Celebration, and it will honor African-American composers, musicians, and educators for lifetime achievement, and it also raises funds to support the DSO's African-American music and musician development programs. That's where we want to start the conversation today, talking about the contributions that African-Americans have made historically to classical music and the ways in which we need to make sure that more kids, more African-American kids in particular, know that history and feel a part of classical music. We want to hear from you as well. What do you think about classical roots, the idea of African-American contributions to classical music? Uh, What role does classical music play in your life? Uh, It's something that it's harder to be an enthusiast of these days now that radio has changed so much. You really do have to make more of an effort, I think, to hear it and hear it on a consistent basis. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more about this weekend's celebration and the idea of people of color as part of classical music is Adam Sadbury. He's a flutist and African-American orchestra fellow with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. He will be part of the celebration this weekend. Adam, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Also with us is Michael Goss. He's a trumpeter and another African-American orchestra's fellow with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. All right, thank you for having me. So uh, let's start by talking about the power of an event like this, uh, the, the idea of celebrating the contributions of uh, people of color and African-Americans to, to classical music. Uh, why, is this, why is this important, Adam? The celebration is important because it really highlights the fact that 
African-Americans have always been a part of classical music. Um, it isn't something that's only just started because um, opportunities are more um, out in the open. Um, it's something that has been integral from the very beginning, and it's really giving the light to the fact that um, it didn't just start with um, European musicians. It's been a part of African culture and things all across the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, as I said in, in the intro, you know, I was a kid who loved classical music, and uh, I felt like that made me a little bit of a an anomaly when I was a kid. <clears throat> um, uh, there, there is this sort of disconnect in some places between African-American communities and classical music, and as a kid growing up in this country, as a black kid growing up in this country, there aren't as many opportunities, I think, to, to, to be exposed to that as, as there need to be. Obviously, this week in celebration is one way to, to change that. Right. So I think the importance of this celebration is, to, is that it highlights the fact that the black community is not one-dimensional. I know oftentimes, as an African-American musician, when I'm conversing with someone, they'll ask me, oh, do you play jazz? Or do you play the saxophone before they even know the instrument that I play? Right. And I think it's important that people know that even though we are huge contributors, arguably creators of jazz, I think it's more important that that's not the only thing that we contribute to the world of music. You know, there's there's jazz, there's hip hop, there's reggae, and then there's classical music. And I think that it's important for all of the other children that look like us across the U.S. to know that they have just an equal amount of ability to contribute to this art form as other people do. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk some about this history of African-American contribution to classical music. As I say, I didn't know about it as a kid. I think a lot of people uh, don't know about it. Uh, how back, how far back does it go? How rich is it, Adam? Um, the first person that came um, to my attention as being a really important historical figure was uh, Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Um, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but mm -hmm. he was around, uh, around Mozart's time. Mm -hmm. So from that long ago from um, the development of one of the most prevalent figures in all of classical music um, was someone who was out in the forefront um, and absolutely dominating at that time. People knew his name. Um, he was performed very frequently and has, he disappeared for a little bit, but I know that his works are very popular in Europe, England specifically, um, and that you know, his influences have gone deeper than most people would realize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm also curious for the two of you what uh, what it was like being a classical musician as a con as a child, as a black kid. Uh, what was it that that first made you interested in in classical music, and how hard was it to to be sometimes? I guess the the only the only black kid uh, performing, the only black kid who um, uh, might have been interested in this kind of thing. Uh, Adam, what was that like? It was interesting for me because I've always grown up with music. Um, both of my parents grew up with um, musical backgrounds. My dad's mother was a music teacher in the Houston School District and was a huge Suzuki influencer um, in the Houston school districts. So he grew up playing the violin and played clarinet a little bit. 
And my mother sang a lot and played piano through high school and college and through her younger years as well. So it kind of just kind of came down to me and mm -hmm. I just was very aware and didn't know exactly that I wanted to do it from the very beginning, but it was definitely in my life from the beginning. Yeah. Were there hurdles uh, to, to you being able to do that do you, that you remember? The only hurdles were the fact that I was obviously the only person that looked like me that was, well, not obviously, but I was definitely the only person that looks like me in those programs early on. Mm -hmm. It took a bit of guts uh, and a lot of self-confidence to keep going with it because, you know, I looked around the room and as, especially as a flute player, it was me and a bunch of um, light-skinned white girls. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was a little bit shocking at first, but it was something that made me realize that if I want to stick to this, I'm going to have to honor myself and what came before me and just trust that things would work out if I wanted to continue on with it. Yeah, yeah. Michael, you're also from, you're both from Texas, is that right? That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, but my musical career, uh, so to speak, began when I was living in Georgia. Um, I had a choice. My dad said, you can play, you can play an instrument or you can play football. So for a while I did both <laughs> and I was markedly better at music. So football had to go. Uh, unfortunately, I, st <laughs> I still love sports, everybody. Um, and for me, he wanted me to play jazz. That's why he was, oh, you should play in the band. You know, you should pick up like the drums or saxophone or trumpet or something. But when I finally moved to Texas, the band programs were so supercharged and so competitive and the the educators were pushing you so hard. I just kind of got moved into the classical direction. And once I began to get more serious about my craft and about how I was performing on the instrument, things just kind of shot off in that direction. Um, things really got solidified when the San Antonio Symphony was offering a discounted tickets for educational institutions. So my band director bought 20, 25 tickets and got a bus and said, hey, I've got this many people that I can take, sign up after school. So of course I signed up, and after hearing my first live symphony concert, that was it. <laughs> you I, were I sold. Was hooked. I was hooked. <laughs> uh, and do you remember there being barriers to, to you as an African-American boy uh, wanting to do this that, that made it harder for you to decide that this was what you would, would do, with, do with your life? I would say similar to Adam, it was a mental hurdle. You walk into a room and you see a bunch of people that don't really look like you. And one of the biggest questions in your head is, do I belong here? You know, um, which is, I think, another kind of stigma of being an African-American trying to get into any type of profession in America is, should I be doing this? I see these people that look like me that do these things, whether they be good or bad, and other people that don't look like me that do these things. So you kind of have to just decide what do you want for yourself and how willing are you to commit to that to that idea and then just go for it. Yeah. Luckily, my mother, um, my band directors, um, close friends of the family were very encouraging and supportive and didn't really let me let up off of the gas. It was a, hey, if you're going to do this, then we're going to be behind you. So let's 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 do this. Mm. Uh, I also want you to talk a little about what you will be performing uh, this weekend as part of the, the celebration. It's a really interesting lineup. Uh, Adam, tell us about some of the pieces. 
Sure. So the big piece on the program is William Grant Still's Afro-American Symphony Number no. 1. And for me, I'm particularly attached to this piece because it was premiered in Rochester, New York, on the stage of Kilburn Hall at the Eastman School of Music, where I attended school. Um, so getting the opportunity to perform this here with the Detroit Symphony is really important to me in particular. Um, because William Grant Still's music is so lush and vibrant and full of spiritual influences and is just really reminiscent of things that I heard a lot of when I was growing up, hmm. um, particularly when I visited family that lived um, in downtown Houston and went to um, black churches with them and heard a lot of those sounds and those types of styles. So that for me is the, the thing I'm most looking forward to performing yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Michael, what about you? Um, we've also got kind of the spiritual African-American alma mater, lift every voice and yes. sing. <laughs> um, We're going to hear a little of that <laughs> at the end of the segment here. Yeah. Growing up in Atlanta during my early childhood, there's a, obviously a huge black community there. Um, at the school I went to, we actually did a um, Black History Month presentation every year. So that was the song that we ended our presentation with, which was uh, just a, a huge production. Um, so that's a really, really special moment for me. And then we've also got Robert A. Harris's composition for orchestra and mixed choir and a soprano soloist, which is also a very special work. And this entire program is is particularly special to me because, I mean, this is probably one of only a handful of times where I've gotten to perform music written by black composers in a classical setting. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, uh, as I'm speaking with Adam Sadbury. He's a flutist and an African-American orchestra fellow with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Also with us is Michael Gauze. He's a trumpeter and an African-American orchestra fell with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. We're talking about the classical roots performances at Orchestra Hall today and tomorrow, uh, tomorrow at uh, at uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, at, uh, at Orchestra Hall, um, the annual celebration of African-American contributions to classical music by our local symphony orchestra. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you think of the state of classical music right now. Tell us what you think of the idea of celebrating uh, African-American contributions to classical music, uh, something that uh, doesn't get done a whole lot. A lot of times that history gets completely lost, in fact, in the conversation about music and classical music. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, you're both uh, visiting Detroit classrooms and performing for students. Uh, what do you tell kids about your experiences? Adam? So whenever I speak to younger students about classical music and what it's like to do it for a living, I usually try to remind them that classical music isn't supposed to be this pretentious, um, otherworldly art form that people only do um, generally when they're older and rich. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be a connective tissue that really draws people together, um, especially as an orchestral musician. The thing that makes me happy about it is the fact that I get to collaborate with a large number of people all at once. So I really try to get across the point that it's a team sport. You know, you whenever you're 
a musician, you are working to create the best thing that you possibly can with everyone sitting around with you. Um, and that it's really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Michael? The point I try to stress is that it's okay to do music. It's okay to want to do music. Uh, music a lot of times gets gets the bad rap of it being a hobby. People don't think that, oh, I could really make my life, I could turn my life and base my life around music. Uh, so just to to really stress, hey, you can do this professionally, you can make money, you can have a life. <laughs> right. Uh, also, if you're into classical music or whatever kind of music you're into, everybody doesn't have to like that music. When you're in middle school and high school, everybody's not going to want to listen to a Mahler symphony with you. Right. <laughs> so it's important to understand that early on you might be one in a very large number of people, but if you decide to pursue it professionally and you go to school, you'll quickly find that there's a great amount of people that are also having the same interest as you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Stephanie in Detroit. Stephanie, what's on your mind? Yes, good morning. Good Hi. morning. Mm -hmm. I had the pleasure of attending the Roots concert uh, Monday night at Plymouth uh, United Church of Christ, Reverend Nicholas Hood. And it was fabulous, just fabulous. And I can't wait until going tomorrow night at the DSO for mm -hmm. the Roots concert, honoring, uh, I think, Dr. Bill Picard. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the other person. But I just want to say to everybody, if you have the opportunity to go, and I grew up in Detroit, and I think this is fabulous. My daughter learned how to play the violin at five years old, going to Chrysler Elementary School, oh, yeah. and she's now 45. <laughs> and she played the violin all the way through high school. Wow. So it's something that I want to encourage African-Americans, if they can, to attend the concert tomorrow night. Yeah. Stephanie, I appreciate the the call and the uh, and the info there. The other person who's being uh, honored uh, this weekend is music educator Dr. Robert A. Harris, uh, along with uh, philanthropist Dr. William Picard. Um, uh, again, Stephanie, thanks very much for uh, for that call, that call and that info. All right, uh, Adam Sadbury, Michael Gauze, thanks for both of you for being here with us on Detroit today. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. All right, up next, the richest county in Michigan is implementing a universal breakfast program for low-income students. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk more about what that means. And on it, we're going to go out here with a Harlem Boys Choir performance of Lift Every Voice and Sing, one of the pieces that will be performed at Classical Roots this weekend. Stay with us on Detroit Today. <laughs> 